Welcome to FBC Midlothian, where we are resilient disciples who lead people to pursue Jesus where we live, work, and play. We've spent the last several weeks in investigation of the Christmas files, trying to find the truth and what to believe. You know the story, you've looked at the evidence, you've experienced the struggle, but in the end, you still have to make a choice. What's it going to be? About an hour from now, a young woman will be mounting the steps of this baptistry because a few months ago she showed up and she began to ask questions. And she talked to Ben and she talked to me about how she grew up in a setting where it wasn't allowed to ask questions. It was, she never knew it was okay to do so. And so there were lots of doubts, lots of struggles that went unaddressed. And probably many of you know exactly what that feels like. And so I began to talk to her and say, you know, our team, all the folks you've seen that have led tonight, the folks that have been working behind the scenes, Long ago, we planned for this series where we'd look at all the the data, all the proof, the evidence, the experience about the Christmas event, what we call the birth. But we all have those wrestlings where we ask those questions, and so our, our quest has been to be able to present to you a chance to hear these things and to know that they were based not on some kind of legend that grew up centuries later, but they were based on eyewitnesses and what they did and what they heard and what they experienced. And so tonight, I want to make sure you know what I call the core of Christmas. There are lots of details. There are lots of things that are part of this. But what Lane read just a few minutes ago, there's one part of this. If you miss it, and we often do, then Christmas means nothing. We read past it. We hear it. We use the words, but they don't resonate. We don't recognize them when they come. It's as if they're hidden in plain sight. In the middle of that account that Lane read, this is what the angels tell the shepherds. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Good news. What is that? The Savior. Yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Now, I've been having conversations with people about Jesus for over four decades. I remember the first big conversation I had was with an older classmate. Um, I had invited him to our church. We had a very, very small congregation. I had been through uh, a period of great doubting, had settled some things, and he had come. And I remember that Sunday night, we stuck around because he had questions, and we had a church bus on the property that wasn't locked. And so... Everybody else left, and we climbed up in that bus, and we sat across the aisle from each other for two hours trying to deal with this. It was the first time. So for four decades, I've been having conversations with people about Christ, listening to their questions, making it safe, making a chance for people to hear and weigh out what all that means. And I want want you to know, I've seen a pattern. It still happens. 
It happens in my office. It happens across the hall in the compass. It happens over the lunch table. It happens in ER waiting rooms and ICU waiting rooms. It happens uh, in all kinds of settings. The pattern has been consistent for my entire adult life. And that pattern is this, that our natural mindset of faith always revolves around what we must do for God. And it works this way. We think, well, if I'm good enough, and usually we'll do a comparison game. We'll look at other people that we think are not as good or not as behaved or not as religious. And so we start mounting this idea of all the things we have to do. If I only gave enough, if I only attended enough, maybe if I believed enough, if I read my Bible enough, if I was compassionate enough, I gave to missions enough, if I did enough good deeds. But it's always coming back to what we do for God. And if that viewpoint that I've heard for all of my career is accurate, I want you to know that's not good news. It's horrible news. Because frankly, if that is the way it works, then we're all just one bad pitch, one step, one mistake where we feel like we teeter over the edge. Oh, that's too much. You can't forgive that. Or there's just... One more thing, one truth to fall where we think, okay, we're cooked. And so we usually react one of two ways. We live in an idea of rejection and fear. That's not good news. Or we just choose denial and say, you know what? I'm better than most people. I know on the scale of averages, I'm going to be okay and I'm going to live my life. Neither of which is good news. And so the core of the gospel, the core of what we celebrate tonight comes down to one phrase. The Savior has been born. Savior. We use that phrase. We sing that phrase. Savior. And we think we know what it means, but we we miss it. It's the Messiah, the deliverer, the rescuer. And if you don't get this, then Christmas means nothing. And I've been wrestling with how I could help you feel the gravity of that so that tonight is good news for you. And so this is my best effort. When I was a young man, I was trained in certain skills in order to make people safe in the water. They called me a life guard, and my job was to guard their lives in the pool So if they got in trouble, there was hope for their survival. And so I went through the training, spent time learning. I was 14 years old at the time. And there would be times when I would have a 100 kids in a pool, and I was the only lifeguard there. And they began to train us about things. They said, look, there are certain things you need to think through first. And the first thing is you get a flotation device to someone. You you have this hook uh, a big long pole that had a hook so you could reach out into the, the pool and hook it around that person's body and pull them to a place where you could reach down and grab them. And then they said, but your last resort and what you must be prepared to do if all else fails and that's not available to you, you will need to plunge into the water and go after them. And I remember Ken was the director and he said, And believe me when I tell you that someone's adrenalized strength is better than your rational strength. Adrenaline is a powerful thing. 
It was always the last resort to dive in because a person who's drowning is dangerous. That's why so often we hear the tragic stories. Not only did someone get in trouble in the water, but it was so-and-so got in trouble, the dad, the brother, the uncle, the spouse, the mom, the dad, they went in and after, and they both drowned. And so I was taught when you go out, you had to circle. You learned the, I learned the fireman's jump where you jump in the water and you kick and you splash at the same time to keep your head above water so you never lose sight of the person that's struggling, that's in trouble. And you approach them. And the thing they did not train me to do was this. Get out near them where they hear you and say, okay, you just need to try harder. You're not trying hard enough. That's why you're in trouble. They did not train me to that. They didn't go, You get out there and you show them. You demonstrate the strokes that will be helpful. Hey, if you'll watch me, I'll show you how to make it. Hey, you, you're obviously not treading water. Take your arms like this and kick. They didn't do that. Because the only reason you're there is their life is on the line and they cannot and will not hear you. Instead, Ken said, you need to ball your fist because you may need to knock them cold. Do not approach them from the front. They will fight you because they think fighting rather than surrendering. And so I was taught to come from behind and sneak it behind and pressure points and ways to grab the person to render them unable to fight anymore. But their only hope was that they relaxed and let me rescue them. Then they went on and said, you know, it may be so severe. They may have gone under. You may have to do something to grab them. You may bring them to the side of the pool and have to lay them out and try to compress their chest. And then you will breathe your life into them. Your breath will become theirs and do mouth to mouth resuscitation. Do everything you can. I only needed that one time. I usually got in the pool about 7.45 in the morning and I would teach four-year-olds and five-year-olds and seven-year-olds and ten-year-olds how to swim all day long. And we would have a free swim. And that night, we had a group of adult women that were mostly in their 40s and 50s. And they were trying to learn swim because during their childhood, they'd never conquered their fear of water. And so they were there trying to learn the basic skills. So we'd work them to a point where they could go to the deep end. And I remember we had taken them down to the, the very small um, diving board, and they were just going to jump in because we wanted to teach them those skills. And so we taught them what to do, and it went fine. I had a kickboard. My partner had a kickboard, and so they'd drop down. We'd grab them under the armpit, bring them up, and we'd let them swim to the side. Everything was going great until... One rather large woman did not listen to our instructions. Instead of pointing her toes and going in straight, she um, relaxed and crumpled, and so she wound up cannonballing both of us, and we washed to the side. And I looked at her. I said, you got her? She says, no. Do you have her? No. And I looked down between my toes, and there was a body on the bottom of the pool. She sank like a rock. And so one of the first things you learn in teaching is you learn to bob. And so I bobbed down, got to the bottom, put my arm underneath her armpit and pushed up and brought her to the surface. And we took her to the side, choking, spitting, embarrassed, terrified. (laughs) That was talking about me. She was also um, feeling that way. 
But I learned something. And we think we know it, but we forget it. This is the gift. Rescue depends 100% on the rescuer, not the rescuee. The only hope is that the rescuer has the capability and the will to do what is necessary to bring life where death is trying to encroach. It's always up to the rescuer. And so that night, essentially what the angel was saying to the shepherds was, a rescuer has waded into the flood with you. He has come because you can't survive without him. You need a rescue. And it's up to him. It's not up to you. Savior means somebody external to you is going to do something you cannot do for yourself. That's what they told the the shepherds at night. And at that point, the shepherds had a decision to make. So all this news could have come and they would have gone, Huh. Or they could have had the conversation going, hey, I think we got some bad mutton jerky. Did, did, are you having the same hallucination I'm having? Or they might have said, boy, this is, the, we'll never explain this. This, this is weird. I don't know what to do with this. But instead, the scripture tells us they believed what they heard. They chose to believe. Verse 15 says, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, and here's the decisive moment, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. You saw from the intro video, it was a struggle to believe. It was a struggle for Zechariah when he knew that he was going to have a baby in his old age. It was a struggle for Mary who knew her own morality and knew how things work, and she had no idea how this was coming, and she had to choose to believe the angel's proclamation. It was hard for Joseph, feeling betrayed. He had to make a choice. Will I believe what I have been told? And act on it. And they did. And on this night, the shepherds had to make a choice. And I have been saying for the last three weeks what I have to say to you tonight. Because many of you approach this night with skepticism. Even with the truth staring you in the face. Even when the details are undeniable, unavoidable, and all our challenges are met with answers, even then, if you could research this to death and get everything in place, even then, we still must choose or decide to believe. You know why? Because believing is always a choice. I celebrated with one of our our, uh, college students out in the hallway because When a young man gave a ring and said, I love you, she believed him and she took it. (laughs) Some of you believed things about jobs and you believed love and you believed enough to trust. Believing is always a choice. And tonight, the one thing I learned from that rescuing culture was whenever Somebody saves your life. You hear these common words come out of the mouth. I'll never forget what you did for me. 
the fireman who brings the family dog out of the, the burning structure and the family's relieved. They look at that fireman, I'll never forget what you did for me. And many of you tonight are here because every Sunday we gather. We don't gather so we can be more holy and, and prove that we're religious. We gather and we celebrate because we've been given something. And when you've experienced that, there's something in you that drives you to want to express that gratitude just as a mother looks at you when you pull a child to the side and they breathe. I'll never forget what you did for me. So tonight is your opportunity for those of you who have gathered here, and you know that, to be able to give thanks. But I am not a naive person. In fact, there's a part of me that I would say is pretty cynical, and I know because I've been there, that many of you are here because it's family time and, and you're tolerating this time. You've come to appease somebody or please somebody, and frankly, you have plenty of skepticism and questions, and, and you're part of the group think tonight just kind of tolerating it. I know what that feels like. And I would say to you that tonight could be a time when you hear It's not some religious game. Jesus waded into the flood of our history because before you took a breath, he cared about you. And he knows it's exhausting to keep all the plates spinning and hope that's enough. And just as Ken warned me, he knew when he waded in for you, it would cost him his life. And he chose you. So tonight, I'm hoping that some of you will hear that and go, wow, that's different from anything I ever thought. Everyone that attends this church knows their pastor is a sinner. (laughs) I'm painfully aware of that. Just as C.S. Lewis was painfully aware, just as Billy Graham once told on a nighttime news I am a sinner. You? I am. This is not about me. It's about the power of the rescuer. I'm just a rescuee. I was in trouble. And he jumped in for me. And I'm hopeful that tonight, some of you would hear that for the first time and go, that is completely different. And you'll choose to believe his intentions towards you. And change the Christmas you have this year and every year from now on. Because you will have in your heart, I will never forget what you did for me. So I would like for us to pray. And all of you who know you were rescued, that you could give thanks. And that some of you who tonight, this is a surprise to you, would be willing to take the risk to choose to believe. No gimmicks, no tricks, just a time for you to hear from and speak to the Lord. Would you pray with me? If you know that happened for you, you have the relief in your heart and you can remember Would you right now in your heart say to God, I'll never forget what you did for me. Thank you 
for wading into the flood for me. And for those of you who know you haven't, would you speak to Jesus in your heart right now? Jesus, I ask you to wade in for me. If I compare myself, I've always tried to think I was better than somebody else. But it's like being next to another drowning person and thinking I'm going under later than they will and we'll we'll both perish. And tonight, I believe you did come for me. That you came with purpose because you wanted to rescue And I hardly know what that means. But I need you. And I ask you not to just be the Savior, but tonight, I ask you to be mine. And show me the relief that you promised to bring. And surround me with people who will help me take those steps in the days to come to have the confidence that it's not up to me, that you did it all. And so today, Jesus, I choose to believe your intentions and give you my trust. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for wading into our mess with grace, with the gift of rescue. Help us to celebrate that tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. If you would like to talk to somebody about what you've heard or you have any questions, send us a text at 972-845-5796 and a pastor will get right back to you. Subscribe to this podcast to get notified each week when new content is posted. If you're local to the Midlothian, Texas area, we would love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services at 8 o'clock, 930 or 11. You can also visit us online at fbcmidlow.com. Thanks again for listening and God bless.